Hello and welcome back to the Cyclist Magazine podcast brought to you in association with Castelli. I'm your host, Joe Robinson. Just a short introduction to today's episode, unfortunately. My co-host, James Spender, is away at the moment and was unable to get sufficient recording quality or Wi-Fi to join us this morning. Nonetheless, we both got together earlier in the week to get on the phone with a pretty special guest for today's episode. Now, a few episodes ago, you'll remember we spoke to Specialised, who, after launching the latest Tarmac SL7, claimed that the aero bike as we know it was dead. Well, German brand Canyon has something to say about this, as it has just launched its newest aero CFR aero race bike, its fastest bike ever. Bucking Special's Trend is an out-and-out sprinting machine and a huge marker from the brand to justify the future of aero-specific machines and this latest bike. To argue its case, James and I were joined earlier this week by lead engineer on the project, Lukas Scherschnig, who seemed to make a pretty good case for the future of aero bikes and the relevance of this latest aero. Anyway, less from me, let's get into the interview now. So, uh, joining us now is Lucas Schufnick. I hope I pronounced your surname right, Lucas. You did just school us on that before, so apologies if not. But Lucas is the, the man, the lead engineer on the Aero project that has produced Canyon's exciting new Aero Road, uh, or Aero, which when it came out in 2014 was arguably the benchmark for Aero bikes. So that's done six venerable years. Uh, and it's now been redesigned in 2020. So over to you, Lucas. Tell us, tell us why it's taken so long to start with to reconfigure and re-engineer the air road. I think actually there are a couple of points. The first one is because, as I said, the previous generation was already a pretty good bike. And I mean, for a new one, of course, we need to improve the bike. And by improving really the last 15 to 20%, I think this is where a lot of time is needed actually to make the improvements. And that... On the other side, we wanted to make a complete race bike, right? We just wanted not to focus only on aerodynamics. So, so far, for us, a real uh, race bike is more than aerodynamics. And on the other side, we have a lot of new features. For example, it's really the first road bike we have with a full EKO integration. And this, of course, takes a lot of time to yeah, develop and make it make sure it's really perfect and uh, needs uh, our customer requirements. So quite interesting. You said that you wanted to make it a complete road bike. Um, the first thing that probably jumped to our mind is that you as a brand canyon has decided to stick with an out and out aero bike when arguably your biggest competitor in the market or one of your biggest competitors in the market specialized has just completely done away with their aero range the venge so so i'm interested in as to know why canyon believes that there's still mileage in the in the aero category and haven't gone towards this holistic say, making the ultimate just a faster bike? Because we actually think there's still room to have um, separate categories. So we still think there's room to have a really lightweight climbing bike. <clears throat> On the other side, still have a really complete race uh, aero bike. I mean, the UCI limit at the moment is 6.8 kilograms. So this is where, you know, both bikes come very, very close together. <clears throat> but as soon, for example, as the weight limit will drop, I think there's a, there's a bigger demand than again, for both bikes. For example, the, the lightweight bike can be around six kilograms, which is our ultimate bike. And I mean, this can be still used by the climbers, for example, in mountain stages. On the flatter stages, you go for a, for more aero bike, which is the aero road. 
which is of course heavier than maybe around 6.8 or 7 kilograms. So I think this is where we still think there's a need for both bikes. So regarding the old bike and the new bike, where have you found those developmental gains? Obviously, you're you're mining a very fine um, seam at the moment, as you say, because of um, UCI rule constraints. So where have you squeezed out those extra gains and what do those numbers look like? I mean, we really looked into the complete uh, package and complete package for us means, of course, it's an aero bike. So aero development was a big thing. Um, on the naked frame set, we had a 4.4 watts improvement, but uh, in combination with water bottles, we were on 5. Point, uh, something watts uh, improved. And this is, um, it's quite a big number actually. I mean, five watts doesn't sound that much, but if you um, compared for uh, uh, to the previous generation, I mean, that was still a, yeah, a big improvement for us. On the weight perspective, we, we achieved a weight improvement of around 170 grams on the complete frame set. And in terms of stiffness to weight, which is the ratio of the of the head tube stiffness of the bike compared to the weight, we also make a big step forward. So this means actually on the, on the one side, we decrease the weight, but on the other side, we also increase the, the stiffness, which makes a, a big improvement. Um, for head tube stiffness, just a reference, which is basically the side stiffness of the, of the frame, um, we made the improvement of around 25%. So really big step forward there. Like uh, a lot of brands as well, you've gone up to uh, maximum tire clearance of 30 millimeters. But interestingly, you have said you've designed the air road around a 25 millimeter front tire and a 28 millimeter rear tire because a rear tire ultimately experiences le- has less of an effect on, on drag. But why not make it 30 mil at the back? and 28 at the front, just for that extra comfort. I mean, of course, the, the front tire width is still, um, yeah, it's still a big uh, impact on the aerodynamics. The front tire is basically the first part, which is facing the wind. So the first part there needs to be really uh, a more shallow profile can help there a lot. So I think the 25 millimeter um, um, is still the, the best compromise for, for the front end. Um, for the, on the rear, we've taken the 28 millimeter tire because on the one side also, um, if you go bigger tires, basically they also get heavier. So for example, 30 mil tire would be also heavier than a, a 28 millimeter tire. And on the other side, I think the 28 millimeter also delivers already quite a good comfort. Um, what we also did on the rear end, of course, is not only the tire, but also we made a, a comfort seat post or kind of comfort seat post. So combination of 28 millimeter tires and the comfort seat post works pretty well for us. That's where we stick basically um, yeah, with this combination. Of course, we made a bigger tire clearance because what we saw is, for example, on Paris-Roubaix or races like this, the pros still tend to go to 32 or even bigger tires. And this is also what we yeah, try to um, yeah, allow here. So if a pro really wants to go on a bigger tire, there's still room in there um, yeah, to fit a bigger tire. So that's, that's an interesting point there. Do you, do you guys at Canyon foresee the aero taking on um, Paris-Roubaix and looking for podiums at a race like for sure. I think the Paris-Roubaix, for example, is really the perfect the perfect race for such a bike. I mean, there are some really small climbs, I would say. It's a lot of flat um, sections and a lot of um, headwind sections. So if you want to yeah, win the race, of course, you need to also ride in, in, uh, in the wind for quite a long of time, I think. Um, and therefore, I think the, the aerodynamics are crucial, absolutely. And I think that the bike will fit perfect for this race. I think Mathieu also will ride Paris-Roubaix, so... We'll see how this yeah will happen. 
So you mentioned uh, Matteo van der Poel there. He just completed Liege, Bastogne Liege, came sixth, and he was on, I believe he was on the new air road, uh, sort of hiding in plain sight. So proof that that's a, that's a race with over 4,000 metres of vertical elevation, so a, cli- a day for climbing, but he used the air road. Um, so he believes it's a light enough bike. He didn't need to use the ultimate, for example. Uh, but was there any? Did Canyon ever try and get down to that six point sort of seven, six point eight kilo mark with the air road, or was it just too much of a compromise? No, actually, the goal was to get to get to six point eight kilogram. Um, for example, Valverde also rode um, um, the bike in the tour, so he had the, the new air road in the tour. And he had like a mountain setup, which was, I think, a SIP uh, 202 front wheel and a SIP 303 rear wheel. And with these wheels, he had 7.0 kilograms exactly um, on the bike, which I think is yeah, already fairly close to 6.8, of course. I mean, they are limited to, to sponsor um, sponsor equipment. So I think if we really into a, your, if you want to go, go down a little bit of the weight and you're more open to all uh, available material outside, basically I think you can you can reach the 6.8 kilograms. It should be no issue. That's, um yeah, weight is something that we're consistently talking about in cycling and have done for years. And I always think it's funny thinking about weight restrictions, where they've come in, where they've come from, and a company such as Canyon, where you had a 3.7 kilogram bike in 2004 which was a kind of little um, pet project of one of your designers, Hans Christian Smolik. And does it not make you kind of feel that design point of view, like what are the UCI doing? Like we've been able to do this for ages. Please, please, please lift that weight restriction. And what do you think you could get down to if they did? I mean, the 3.7 kilogram, of course, was a very, very um, yeah pioneer study, I would say. It was really to see what could be the absolute minimum in terms of weight. So it was like fully integrated C-post, cell combination, custom-made stuff like this. So I think maybe it was a little bit, it was too far actually um, to consider it actually for a serial production or serial bike. But I mean, what we see already is for our Evo bike, um, we had the rim brake version, I think launched two or three years ago now, and it was already um, below six kilograms. So um, also when a disc, uh, disc brake bike now, the Evo disc brake ultimate, basically is also around six kilograms. So I think we can easily hit the six kilograms target. And I hope also that the UCI probably will go in this direction. I mean, it probably doesn't make sense to go much below the six kilograms, but I think the six, 6.0 kilograms will be also a good target for us already. So that's interesting you mentioned about the UCI. Sort of, I mean, we've spoken to loads of engineers from multiple brand, bike brands, and they always said the UCI have kind of pegged them back in terms of what they could actually develop. Um, there was a leaked document from the UCI recently, actually, that says that there's they could be re- changing the sort of minimum tube widths uh, for seat and seat post positions, etc., which could really open up different sort of geometries and uh, abilities in terms of aerodynamics of bikes. Is that something that you're keeping an eye on? And, and and do you know that if you know if the UCI suddenly makes some vast changes in terms of their rules? Are there some easy wins for people like Canyon to, to develop to make bikes even faster than they are now? In terms of that, there was a there is a big change in the USI in regards to um, profile depth and, and width. So the ratio also they um, change. Uh, as you mentioned, also the 10 millimeter rule they, they're trying to change. But what you need to consider is when you design a bike, when you design a certain profile, um, it's not about it's not about only aerodynamics actually, it's also about stiffness and weight. And of course, I mean, the, the best profile is always to try to get 
all three um yeah all three aspects in, in the one profile and for example if you make a really really shallow profile it's actually really really hard to also achieve a, a certain stiffness value so even if you now like go down on, on a really shallow profile <clears throat> then you actually need to add a lot of material to get the stiffness and therefore the weight will increase so what we see right now with the with the road bike um that the profile actually or the profiles in each section they already work pretty good if we change it now to a smaller profile, as I said, the stiffness might drop or the weight will go down. So I think already right now we have really, really, really good benefit, a really good balance in terms of all these aspects. So I think for us actually, um, this new rule or this change of the rules actually doesn't really yeah, bring a lot of change to the bike itself, I would say, because we still want to keep the, the race bike uh, with all the stiffness, weight and um, aerodynamic aspects. And therefore the change um, only in an aerodynamic way uh, is not the, the best solution for us, actually. But how much... So this is a, a term that I've come across recently from what Jay just said there about this leaked UCI document. Um, and it's uh, compensation triangles, which are effectively little um, reinforcements between tube junctions on time trial bikes because of the way a time trial bike is made to be very angular. But also a manufacturer will use those triangular reinforcements as a means of creating uh, a slicker, more wind-cheating bike. Could we see a uh, an aero trial bike looking a lot like a time trial bike in the next um, 18 months? Is that something you guys are looking at and working on now? I think we definitely will look, look into the, these boxes again. I mean, this is something we already know from, from time trial bike or triathlon bikes, as you said before. So I think there's, we already know um, yeah, in which direction it could go. But of course, you need to um, consider that the Speedmax bike, which is our time trial bike, of course, is a lot heavier than an aero bike. And I mean, as soon as you add more um, more space and more basically more surface uh, area, also the weight will go up. So I think at the moment we don't really see the need to to change a lot on, on the aero bike because then the weight also will increase. I was just going to say with with a, with a, um, you know these these kind of like leaked in inverted commas uh, documents and rule changes. If you see something like that on the internet, does it go around the Canyon office and you're, you guys are like, what? We haven't heard about this. Or is this just, you know, old news? Do you know, are you guys well on top of this already? So actually we are informed already yeah, in advance when they talk about such rules. I mean, there's a, there's a committee also in the, in the UCI and all these rules, they are discussed there and uh, yeah, negotiated there before they actually go into place. Um, so we were already aware of this uh, for some time, definitely, yeah. And um, one of the, the the other big changes to the new air road that I sort of noticed is the is the new handlebars. So you've developed some new uh, integrated CP 0018 handlebars. Uh, they're a one piece cockpit, which is you know again something some other brands are sort of starting to steer away from this. They're going for the more conventional stem and handlebar approach. But you've developed some quite nifty design into it in terms of being able to narrow the handlebars and uh, shorten or lengthen the stem. How hard was that to develop? And, and how comes Canyon are sort of sticking with that one-piece cockpit when others have gone back to that more traditional sort of uh, aero, aero bars, but on a sort of more of a traditional stem? I think one reason might be why they go back to a traditional uh, stem handlebar combination might be integrated cables. Because, because actually with integrated cables, you actually run in a situation where it's very hard um, to pack the bike and go um, yeah, a training camp or whatever you want to go because actually the cables are already inside the stem and the handlebar, right? Um, 
And if it's like one piece and it's all the cables are in there, you almost, it's also impossible actually to deassemble the bike, just a couple of screws maybe, and then um, travel with the bike. So I think the, the push in this direction from other brands may, might be uh, because of the integrated cables actually to split these two parts again. We choose in a different way because um, we are also direct consumer. So basically we sell the bikes direct to our customers and the customers, they need to build the bikes or actually every customer needs to be able to, to set up the bike as soon as they receive the bike. So it must be very, very easy and very, very foolproof. And therefore actually we decided to split the cockpit in a different way. So we have our one piece solution, you said, it's like a, a regular cockpit. But in addition, we uh, cut off the sidebars, basically the drop bars and, and made a, a junction there. So we have actually a screw connection in there. And the customer, when they receive the bike, is actually the center part is completely um, fully assembled on the bike. The bearing plate is adjusted, everything is set up. The only thing the customer needs to do, needs to um, assemble the bar ends and tighten the screws there. So it's very, very uh, simple, uh, very simple setup actually for the customer. Um, and also the reason we did this because it was of integrated cable creation of the cables um, makes it quite complex um, the, the, the complete setup process. For example, if you have it, um, yeah, if the if the cockpit is uh, deassembled. Uh, so what we did here is, I think actually we added um, one junction actually, and the customer is in a very good position to assemble a bike when receiving a bike and also doing transportation. When we saw this, okay, we had to we have to split the, the cockpit anyway. We already integrated a second feature with what, which was the width adjustment. And with the width adjustment, you're in a position to adjust the handlebar width, which is the first time we, we do something like this. Um, and also uh, for the customer, it's very easy to adjust the width without actually replace uh, the handlebar. So in the past, when you had to, or you wanted to change the width of the handlebar, every time you needed to, to change the handlebar itself. But this time we just made the junction there actually to uh, adjust it on the fly. Yeah, I mean, that that's the bit that almost impressed me most about the whole bike is that cockpit assembly because any mechanic will tell you it is an absolute pig working on a bike with integrated cables in terms of packing it or doing you know doing something like trimming down the steerer tube to achieve a different position so for those that haven't seen the bike yet what lucas is talking about is in terms of the width of the bars the bars are effectively in three pieces the middle t section and the two outer arms and the two outer arms slide over a sleeve and have three different screw positions. So you imagine slight, it's like a telescopic situation. You can pull the bars out and do those screws up and it's sitting at 420 mil wide, or you can put them to the middle and then it will be 410. Then you can put them really in narrow, 390. And these are different sizes for different frames. So it gives you that range. But not only that, you've effectively gone back to a quill stem, haven't you? For that we saw on bikes, racing bikes in the you know, 60s, 70s, and 80s. So the stem height adjustment, you undo at the assembly and you just pull it up or push it down. So there's no steerer tube sticking out that you cut. The stem doesn't slide up and down the steerer tube. The stem is the steerer tube and it goes inside the frame. That to me is very simple, but the engineering, the, the diagrams look very, very complex <laughs> for that. Um, and it does look, uh, I don't know, what would you say to somebody that thinks the sides of their bars are going to come off in a sprint or that they're going to rip the bars out of the frame or, or twist them if they haven't done up um, the stem bolt properly? How, how have you guarded against those features? And what did the professionals say when you gave them that? 
Were they like worried about it's not going to be stiff enough? It's going to move. You know, there's too many junctions here. Yeah. So maybe touching on, on the safety aspect. Um, so actually, the the width is adjusted as um, as I said, basically by, by tightening two screws. But also what you need to see is the two screws actually they go inside a hole, right? It's not like a big elongated hole. It's really a definite uh, hole position. So as soon as the screw is in there, it's already fixed in position. You don't need to apply actually a lot of torque because actually the hole um, is fixed by the screw itself. So also with two screws, we're on a really, really safe side. So for the bar width, I think we are, yeah, there's absolute, there's, from a safety perspective, this is absolute uh, foolproof. For the um, stem connection, you said, there's like one screw where we tighten the screw. And also if you look at this clamping concept there, we have basically a screw which has a big screw head and the screw head all at the same time already fits um, inside the, the matching part, which is on the fork. And as soon as these parts basically are matching, it's blocked in rotation. So it's also without any torque, actually it's blocked already in rotation. Of course, you need to tighten the uh, and apply the full torque to get uh, rid of any play. But as soon as the parts assemble together, they're already locked in position, uh, in rotation, I mean. And therefore it's also very, very, um, yeah, very safe. And also we did a lot of testing actually where we had no torque applied, you know, there was no torque on the screws. And it was, I mean, that you can feel actually there's something wrong because there's there's a play in the, in the system. But at the same time, we were able to ride. I mean, imagine like you ride on a normal road bike and you have the screws not tightened. I mean, you can easily just turn the handlebar and yeah, would crash because there's like no no direct connection to the to the fork anymore. But in the new era, we are yeah without any torque, we're already in a position um, to lock the rotation. So this is a really really big improvement, I would say, compared to standard cockpit. Um, from a pro rider feedback, the first uh, rider we actually had on the bike was Matthew van der Bolle, which was already like one year ago. Um, and from the very beginning, he absolutely loved the bike. I would say um, we had had a prototype. A prototype bike, um, uh, or we gave a prototype bike to him like one year ago. He raced it actually in two or three races, and then it was planned that the bike will be handed out, uh, uh, will be handed out to us again afterwards. But actually, he wanted to stay on the bike, you know, because he said, "Okay, it's a big improvement, new bikes. So I want to stay there." But yeah, we need, at some point, actually, we need to get it back and see uh, how it worked. But I think from a pro perspective. They absolute, they absolute love it. All the guys we had on the bike, also the, the two riders we had in the tour, uh, Warren Baki and Alejandro Valverde, they were really, really satisfied with the bike. And also, I assume that the mechanics on the teams were very happy when it comes to transporting all the bikes. Absolutely, yeah. I think um, also one feature you mentioned is the, the width adjustment, and some guys actually also tried different width for different um, uh, for different stages. For example, if they have a really flat stage and it's not very curvy and it's very uh, easy to ride, actually, some guys prefer to go to a smaller width. And then the next day, maybe in the mountain stages, you have a lot of um, technical uh, curves and technical sections that actually go to a, to a wider um, cockpit. And this can be adjusted by the mechanics within one or two minutes. So it's very easy. They don't need to replace any handlebars. It's very easy for them to adjust the width. And that's also a feature they, yeah, I think they will use more and more in the future. I've always been quite, you've, in Matteo van der Poel, Canyon has arguably the most exciting road rider, or what the most exciting riders period in the world at the moment. But I've always wondered how important that feedback from a pro rider is in terms of bike development. 
because you often hear, you know, a new bike will be launched and they'll say it's been it's been developed in, in conjunction with X, Y, and Z rider. But how much do you listen to what they have to say ultimately? Because what a pro wants from a bike is very different what's the consumer and the amateur who actually pays for the bike is. So while a pro rider wants it to be as stiff as a plank of wood, the average amateur can't deal with that. So how much how much do you listen to them and how much is it sort of just having to to do what the consumer will want in, in terms of a bike? Actually, I think I need to you need to listen to both um, both groups. I would say on the on the one side, of course, the pro riders, and they will also always be in a very uh, performance oriented way. For example, they will tell you, okay, it must be more lightweight for sure. It must be more aero. Um, but on the other side, it's not that like like it was in the past, maybe that pro riders say, okay, it needs to be absolute stiff. I don't care about comfort at all. I think the pro riders also understand now that, for example, on Paris-Roubaix, it is actually a big benefit to get a certain comfort there. Because, I mean, if, you're, if your muscles are shaking and you know, getting pushed basically by all the bumps all day, in the end, you will also use, uh, you know, lose basically a lot of strength because just of this, uh, yeah, because of this impact. And I think they understand now that a certain comfort is also a benefit, of course. I'll give you a very clear indication what it needs to be in terms of performance, but also, of course, from our customers. Um, for example, the geometry. Um, we saw it in the past that the error geometry for the customers was actually quite difficult, I would say. It was very, it was maybe too aggressive for, for a lot of customers. That's also what we did here for the new bike. Um, to change the geometry to go a little bit on on the more relaxed side, I would say. So the geometry of the new airroad is more similar to what we have on the Ultimate, for example. So the stack um, increased, the reach is a little bit shorter, and therefore we have more Ultimate position on it. But also what you can see is, I mean, this more relaxed position or yeah, relaxed position actually also helps you um, to get your, your weight on the bike actually more balanced. So this means you have less uh, weight on the front uh, front tire and therefore also steering is, is easier and also uh, hard technically sense, for example, uh, you can do easier, I would say. And I mean, we didn't tell that we did this change to our pro riders, for example, but as you know, of course they feel it. And I mean, they ride the new bike and the feedback was afterwards that the new bike actually feels better to ride than the old bike was, you know? So I think also the pro riders, they, they, even if this was not a clear requirement from the pro riders actually to change the geometry, in the end, there's still also benefit for them, actually, what we did here. And I think this is, you need to really find a good balance by, by uh, listening to both parties, uh, customers and pro riders. But in the, end, in the end, I think it's possible actually to make one product, product which fits for both very, very well. And if there's one thing me and James have learned over the years of talking to bike engineers is that when a, a bike's released by a brand, it normally means they're halfway through the next one. So, uh, what what is up? Is there anything exciting from Canyon coming soon? And uh, you know, have you already begun development on the next air road after this? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the, the development of the next generation of the air already starts when you um, you're developing basically the previous generation. And this means, I mean, you're doing a lot of iteration, you're doing a lot of changes or concepts. And at a certain point, of course, you need to release the bike because actually the bike needs to be sold. I mean. Yeah, as an engineer, I don't like this because I would like to improve further, 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 you know, maybe for 20 years until the bike really gets launched, but this doesn't fit uh, any business. So, of course, I mean, as soon as the bike is launched, uh, you still have a lot of ideas actually what to improve already. And I mean, you never, basically development never uh, stops, I would say. It's just a matter of basically timing when you launch a product 
and then you decide, okay, all the ideas I have and all the improvements I have will go to the next generation of the bike. And when you look around the industry from that position as an engineer, what else impresses you? So what's, I don't know, let's say, what's your favorite Canyon bike currently? And what's your favorite non-Canyon bike out there? Uh, Canyon bike is probably the in-flight because this was also one of my region, recent uh, projects. Um, and also because uh, we developed this very close together with our cyclocross team, also with Mathieu and uh, Celine, which is our uh, female rider. And actually it was a very, very yeah, big success. Also this year actually won both um, both championship titles on the men's side and on the female side also. So I think this was really a big uh, emotional moment also for me, seeing actually that my bike actually is double world champion. Um, but from an outside perspective, I think actually what I really like is uh, what Trek is doing. So also what you can see, um, they thought, uh, I think they're probably one of the most innovative and technical uh, brands that I see out there. Not on the, on the, only on the roadside, but also, for example, what they did on mountain bike side with this uh, side, with this integrated um, rear shock in the top tube. So I think this is something yeah uh, impresses me. That was something that you um, touched upon, Joe, and we were chatting about the, uh, the new air road before, is, is that idea of, comfort so the first aeroad did do um a decent amount for making aero bikes comfortable you know when you think about the original scott foil which was around 2012 that was that was a real park bench of a bike it was fast but it's very uncomfortable the aero comes along that was that was good but now yes you have brands such as trek putting in moving parts ultimately into a frame to make it more comfortable how come you guys didn't opt to do that? Because isn't that faster? Not just more comfortable, but also smoother, isn't it? So smoother is faster, better cornering, traction, etc. Absolutely, yeah. Um, I think what we did here for the air road is a little bit different because it's actually not visible uh, what we did here in terms of comfort for the seat post. But as soon as you uh, pull out the seat post, basically you will see that the section at the bottom of the seat post is very, very shallow. Um, so it's not like the big section overall. It's a very shallow, sex, uh, shallow section there. And the reason is because we have actually two profiles uh, in one piece there. And the rear profile actually is just for uh, comfort and um, yeah, getting more flexibility in the seat post. Um, so the rear part of the seat post actually is made from a glass fiber and also from a rubber material. And the front part is actually the, the carbon fiber material. So the front part will take all the load and the rear part actually will support and uh, get the comfort in there. And also what we did for the seat post is that the clamping is actually no longer sitting on top of the seat tube, uh, top tube. It's actually around 100 millimeters down um, in the seat tube. And this also helps to create more uh, length and also creating more comfort on the seat post because the bending on the seat post actually is, uh, is, is longer and the bending distance is longer. And therefore we also get more uh, comfort on the seat post. And just to put it into reference, the comfort we have on new bike is very similar to the old one, to the old bike. And if you look at the sections, probably the new section on the, uh, the profile section on the new bike is almost double the, the size, I would say. But by getting these features into the bike, we were able to achieve a similar comfort value, which was, um, I think the, the old bike had a very uh, good comfort for aero bike. And by doing, yeah, uh, having these features on the new bike, we are able to achieve a similar comfort. So Lucas, before we let you go, as you are obviously very busy de developing the new aero, before this one even launched, as we do speak to you a day before the embargo. One question I'd, I'd leave you with is, um, as an engineer of the pinnacle road bikes and the pinnacle race bikes, if there was one 
rule or one sort of stipulation that the UCI put on engineers that you would love to be lifted because you know that it would just be able to open so many doors in terms of engineering and bike bike progression which rule would that be if i really could oh it's possible to change one rule it's definitely would say the weight limit because by changing the weight limit it's i think it makes makes it much more attractive also in the future maybe um because the riders have the possibility from outside to select different bikes for certain stages in races that's so i think the weight rule um would be definitely one yeah what what would that weight be? Do you, what what do you think? Say a a weight that would still be deemed safe enough to race on that a, a rider could feasibly ride a mountain stage of a Grand Tour on. Could you get down to that sort of four kilo mark? I think that's that's not really realistic. I would recommend doing something around six kilograms. Maybe this is this is something reasonable. Um, and also from a safety perspective, that's what we do on our Ultimate Evo right now. So it's around six kilograms with disc brakes. So I think this is a really safe weight. So. That range, I think, would be yeah, feasible. So, uh, Lucas, we'll let you go. Um, thank you very much for coming on. We, we really look forward to seeing the bike in the flesh once we get back into our offices and also seeing uh, Van der Poel race it at Flanders and Roubaix in the coming weeks. I'm sure he'll uh, show it off nicely for you guys Absolutely. on uh, some of the cobble and the bergs. So, um, but until then, uh, thanks for coming on and uh, we'll speak to you again soon. Thanks so much, guys. So that was Lucas Scherschnig, uh, a pretty interesting chap who is also very, very busy. So we thank him again for his time. Uh, also, very interesting to hear some honesty regarding his respect for what's happening over at Trek. Uh, it's generally rare to hear that sort of praise given to rivals. So chapeau to him there, sir. Um, if you want more information on the new air road, uh, just visit cyclist.co.uk or the Cyclist YouTube channel. We covered all the nitty and the gritty there, and I'll pop links to both of those things in the description below. Um, as I said at the top of the show, I'm on my own today, so I won't keep you too long and tell you about my new desk that arrived with an integrated speaker. Um, coming up on the next episode in a fortnight's time, uh, we are hoping to get a pretty special guest on to come and talk about Paru Bay, as that is literally around the corner, creeping up on us fast. Uh, but for now, the usual, uh, download and subscribe wherever you get your pods. Tell your mates to listen if you like us. Leave us a review and a comment if you like us too, uh, or even a good joke or bike-based anecdote you'd like sharing on the pod. Um, and for now, I'll see you all in a fortnight.